Hello and welcome to JHE Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JHE Ministries. I'm glad to have you with us. Be sure to follow this podcast to receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. We are studying the book of Luke. We are in chapter 6, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 6. We've been reading with verse 12. Let's get into it. Now, last time, when we left off, we started to look into the lives of the 12 men that Jesus chose to be apostles. And now we're going to continue to look into the lives of the rest of the 12 that that Jesus has chosen. Now, before we talked about Peter and we talked about John, now we're going to speak about Matthew. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. He was also named Levi, and he also wrote the first gospel called Matthew. We know almost nothing of Matthew. We do know that he was a tax collector for the Romans. And these tax collectors had to be rather well off since they had to prepay each year's taxes and then were allowed to recover the amount with interest from the people. There was also a lot of skullduggery, if you will, these tax collectors of trying to gain more wealth against the people. Now, although the interest interest charges were in theory limited to a fair amount, the reality was that often the tax collectors charged more than they should, another reason why they were not very well liked. But the real problem was that the law of Moses strictly prohibited charging fellow Jews any interest at all. So thus, the tax collectors ordinarily were viewed as people who did not care about the law of Moses and were generally despised. Uh, Now, as a tax collector, Matthew was used to keeping records. And he was personal companion of Jesus through most of Jesus's public ministry. Now, Luke tells us that Matthew made a great feast for Jesus and gave up all to follow him. But Matthew does not even give himself credit for that. He loses sight of himself in his efforts to tell the story of his master. We love him for this self-effacing humility, and we marvel at the grace of God in choosing such a man to be the author of of what is said to be the most widely read book in the world. And it is the first book of the New Testament. Now, tradition says that Matthew preached in Palestine for some years, and then he traveled to foreign countries. It is thought that he wrote his gospel originally in Hebrew, and some years later, probably around 60 AD, he issued a more complete edition in Greek. Now let's go on with James. James was the older brother of John. Jesus nicknamed the two brothers sons of thunder. Now does this indicate that possibly Jesus had a playful sense of humor? Just a little food for thought. But not much is known of James. He was privileged to go with Peter and John to the Mount of Transfiguration. And he was the first of the 12 to die. He was killed by Herod in 44 AD. 
Now, this is Herod Agrippa I, the son of Herod the Great, who had the children of Bethlehem of the ages two and under to be killed. Now, tradition says the most of the 12 died as martyrs. The two families were partners in the fishing business, James and John with their father, Zebedee, and then the two brothers, Simon and Andrew. Now, they had hired servants, so it must have been a fairly large business. All four became apostles, and three of them belonged to the inner circle of friends of Jesus. Now, this takes us up to Andrew, who was from Bethsaida. He and John were Jesus's first converts. Andrew brought his brother Peter to Christ, and tradition says that he preached in Asia Minor, in Greece, and Scythia. Now, these are areas now that include the Ukraine, Russia, and Pakistan. Now, moving on to Philip, who was also from Bethsaida. He was a fellow townsman of Peter and Andrew, and he was one uh, who brought Nathaniel to Christ. Philip had a matter-of-fact matter kind of mind or a matter-of-fact kind of attitude. And according to tradition, he preached in Phrygia and Hierapolis. And he's not to be confused with Philip, the evangelist in the book of Acts. Moving on to Bartholomew. Bartholomew is thought to be the surname of Nathaniel, who came from Cana, and perhaps it was through him that Jesus came to the wedding feast, and according to tradition, Bartholomew preached in Parthia, which is part of modern-day Iran. Now, Thomas, who was a twin, he was a man who was cautious, thoughtful, skeptical, and even gloomy. Now, tradition has him laboring in Syria, Parthia, Persia, and also India. He has been labeled as Doubting Thomas. I'm sure many of you have heard that a lot because he said he wouldn't believe that the Lord had risen until he saw conclusive evidence. So as we know, Jesus showed him the marks of his crucifixion, and Thomas believed. Now moving on to James, who was the son of Alphaeus. James was called James the Lesser, probably because of his stature, but tradition says he preached in Palestine and Egypt, and he may have been the one who held a place of responsibility in the church at Jerusalem after James, the son of Zebedee, had been killed by Herod. Now, this is going to bring us up to Thaddeus, who is thought to be the same as Judas, the son of James. He was also called Labaius. Now, tradition says he was sent to Abgarus, who was the king of Edessa, and to Syria, Arabia, and Mesopotamia. And possibly he is the same as Jude, the author of the epistle of Jude. Now, Simon was nicknamed Zealot in Greek or the Canaanian uh, in Aramaic. Now, very little to much is known of him. 
We do know that the Zealots, as a people, were an intensely nationalistic sect, and they were the direct opposite of tax collectors. Now, Jesus chose a Zealot, and he chose a tax collector, and both of these came from bitter rival factions. I find that point very interesting in some of why or how Jesus chose some of his disciples. Now, finally, we have Judas Iscariot. And later in Scripture, we're going to read a little bit more about him. He is nicknamed the Betrayer. Why? Because he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, he came from Karath, and that's a town in Judah. He was the only non-Galilean disciple. Judas Iscariot was greedy, he was dishonest, and he expected the rich rewards when his master would be seated on the throne of David. But Judas was disappointed when he saw his worldly dream fade away. Now, after his betrayal, he hanged himself. And we'll get into more as we get into scripture later on. But this gives us just a small glimpse into the lives of these individual disciples. And now let's take a brief look into the training of the 12 disciples. Now, once the disciples were chosen, it was important that they should be thoroughly trained in the principles of the kingdom of God. And the rest of this chapter is devoted to a summary of the type of character and behavior that should be found in disciples of the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus's primary purpose in coming into the world was to die as a Lamb of God, to heal humanity's broken relationship with God, and to rise from the dead to bring eternal life to mankind. But his life his death, and his resurrection would be useless to the world unless the world knew about Jesus. His coming to earth would have been in vain if nobody knew about it. So the first sending out of the 12, and I'm kind of getting ahead of, of Scripture, but it gives us an insight of why the disciples were chose. But the first sending out of the 12 was a part of their training. And it was also a part of Jesus's method of advertising to the nation that the Messiah had arrived. Think about it. There was no media. We didn't have social networks. We didn't have the news. The only means of spreading the news was by the word of mouth. And then later, 70 followers were sent out for that exact same purpose. Now, these men authenticated their message with special miracles not only to attract attention, but also to indicate to the nation the extraordinary nature of the one, Jesus, whom they proclaimed. Now, keep in mind, their training was not an easy task, for they were being trained for a work that was utterly different from what they thought they were being trained for. They began to follow Jesus with no thought whatsoever of becoming preachers, if you will. They were expecting that as the Messiah, 
Jesus would establish a political world empire, which they would be the administrators of. Now, Jesus's method of changing their minds about the work that he had and that they had to do was to present himself to them in all the fullness of his divine glory, so that no matter how differently Jesus talked and acted from the way they expected, that they would still believe that Jesus was the one. And that is one of the reasons he performed miracles and that he was transfigured before their eyes. But even at the end, the 12 did not understand some of the most important things Jesus tried to teach him. Jesus told him that he would be executed, yet when it happened, they were devastated because they had not fully grasped that this had to happen in God's plan. Jesus also told them that he would rise again from the dead after three days in the grave. But when it happened, they did not believe it at first. And ironically, the Jewish leaders who had Jesus put to death they remembered what Jesus said about his resurrection because they put a guard in front of the grave. And not until after his resurrection and the descent of the Holy Spirit did the twelve finally understand that it was to be a kingdom in which Jesus would reign in the hearts of men and that part would be simply telling the story of Jesus. That is all. The story would do its own work. Very simple, but very powerful. If men truly hear the story of Jesus, they will love him, because the story of Jesus shows by word and example that God does love them. Now, these 12 men later are called apostles or emissaries, uh, rather than disciples or followers. They became the founders of the Christian church. Now, the group as a whole, with the exception of Judas, of course, must have been men of very highest grade for for Jesus knew and understood people. So he knew what kind of men he needed for his task. What a magnificent men they must have been. Just food for thought. Now, that's going to end the little side note here on who the disciples were and a little bit about their training, what their purpose was. Now, next, what we're going to be getting into, and I want to save a lot of this for next time, because this part of the scripture is going to get a little more involved with our discussion. Uh, This is going to be the blessings and the woes. Jesus' sermon on the plain, which is here, and his similar sermon on the mound, which we find in Matthew chapters uh, 5 through 7, And this was something like a keynote address, if you will. It was a basic affirmation of the kingdom, the kingdom's message, beginning with the Beatitudes and ending with a parable about builders. And within this framework, Matthew and Luke present samples or selections of Jesus's teachings, but they differ at certain points. And Luke's version has five main points that we will discuss later on. So this will be called the the Beatitudes, which is it's commonly known as. But we're going to save that discussion for next time. Until then, God bless each and every one of you, and always keep living Christian strong.